Good morning, all. You may take a seat. Glad you could make it out here this morning. We're going to start out on Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. Finished up our study in the book of Psalms last week, and so we're going to be taking this week and next week to just do a, a couple Christmas messages as we are in that season, and it's nice to kind of step back and see the importance of this. I uh, want to make sure, usually we wait till the end to do announcements, but I want to make sure this gets announced clearly here at the beginning. Next Sunday, with everything that was going on, they ended up moving the Christmas program, so the Christmas program is going to be at the 1030 service next Sunday, which means we will not be having a message, worship, or a church service, per se, at the 1030. We will be doing that at the 9 o'clock service, so we will live stream the 9 o'clock service next Sunday for those that are watching there at home, and we will also live stream the Christmas program at the 1030 service. So if you want to come out to in-person church, you need to come to the 9 a.m. service next Sunday at the 1030 service. will be all Christmas program, no children's ministry, nothing else other than that. We will be live streaming both, so please keep that in the back of your mind. We've been trying to announce this for the last couple weeks and also get it out there on Facebook so that way everybody will know. But this morning, we're in Luke chapter 1 to at least start out with. And kind of a rhetorical question to start out before we actually get into the message is when the idea of Christmas comes up, what words come to your mind? It seems like it's become very popular nowadays to have these one-word signs around Christmas. I see them. It says hope. It says joy, believe, peace. I saw on TV the other day that there was a commercial for a company, and it just simply ended with one word at the end that said believe. I don't know exactly what they want me to believe, but they want me to believe something. And that was just the end of the commercial. So this idea of hope, joy, believe, peace. So what word comes to mind? It's kind of interesting here as we start in Luke, what the word that comes to mind in the Bible is when it comes to Christmas. For such a wonderful time of year, there seems to be a lot of words like fear, fear not, and do not be afraid. So with that, Luke 1, verse 11. This is the story of Zacharias. Verse 11 says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zacharias, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, a little bit of background here. Zacharias is serving as a priest. He's getting ready to go up into the temple to do the incense offering in the afternoon, evening. It's a very privileged position to do probably determined by Lot, and it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for him. And it says he's doing this, this angel appears. And his response, verse 12, fear. The angel, verse 13, do not be afraid. That would make sense. If an angel would just all of a sudden just appear, there would probably be a reaction of fear. And this is not just with Zacharias. This is throughout the rest of the Christmas story. Matthew 1, speaking of Joseph, But when he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. How about Mary herself? Luke chapter 1, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. How about the shepherds in Luke chapter 2? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. A theme here. Zacharias, fear, afraid. Joseph, afraid. Mary, afraid. Shepherds, afraid. 
Not just at Christmas as well. And Daniel 8 and Daniel 10, when an angel appeared to Daniel, this Daniel, this great man of faith in the Old Testament, says he fell like a dead man. His friends fled. He had no strength, no vigor. John in Revelation was completely, utterly overwhelmed by angelic beings. The resurrection in Matthew chapter 28, it says that when the angel appeared that the guards shook for fear and became like dead men. But the angel answered and even spoke to the women saying, do not be afraid. Now, it's a pretty obvious point here, and let me build on it, that once again, if we come face to face with an angelic being, our response is going to be fear. That is a pretty clear statement to make. Zacharias, you're just trying to do your job at the temple and not mess it up. Angel appears. Mary, who's probably a teenager at this time, an angel appears. The guards trying to protect the tomb from the supposed disciples that will come rob it. Instead, an angel appears. These angelic beings that are in the presence of God's glory, majesty, and splendor, it is understandable that there would be a sense of fear for sure. That point is not difficult. But what I really want to build on, though, is take a look with me in Matthew. In Matthew's story of this, in Matthew 1, concerning Joseph, I want you to notice the fear that Joseph had. Zacharias, Mary, shepherds, Daniel, John, soldiers. It was the fear of the angel. For Joseph, it's something different. Matthew 1, look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, if you've heard any type of teaching on this about Christmas, you understand that there's more going on right here. They're betrothed. They were legally considered husband and wife. They had not consummated the marriage yet, but they were considered a legal binding to actually be considered husband and wife, but it was called being betrothed. Now, we don't have that terminology today. We use the term engaged, and engaged really doesn't carry the same weight. When people be engaged, it means sometimes, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, that maybe sometime in the far future we're thinking possibly about getting married. That's not what this word means. This was a legal union of them, but they had just not yet come together as husband and wife. And so Mary coming to Joseph and saying, I'm pregnant, is a huge deal. He can't just break up with her. There's a legal binding with this. Now think about this from Joseph's perspective. Now traditionally speaking, Joseph probably would have been just a little bit older than Mary. Mary would not have been very old. She would not have probably been in her 20s at all, probably in her teens. These are kids in many ways, dealing with some very big issues. Joseph had understood that this was the plan for them to get married. It would have been an arranged marriage. It does not mean that there was not love involved. But it would have been understood that this was the plan and this is the direction that it was going. And so for Joseph all of a sudden to have Mary come up that he was looking forward to and love with, and she says, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, it's God's. That's a lot for Joseph to have to try to grasp and understand. I don't want to add anything to the scriptures. It does not say how that conversation went down. It does not say whether Joseph believed or not. It does not say any of that. We do not know. But we do know this. She tells him, he finds out, Joseph, 19, is a just man, is an upright man, and does not want to make her a public example, verse 19. He could have brought her before the leaders and the elders and could have had her stoned to death. 
There could have been some type of de facto trial, if you will, where they had found out whether she was appropriate or inappropriate. And so therefore it had been deemed that she was pregnant. It was not Joseph. She could have easily been put to death. Joseph could have just stopped and said, I'll go ahead and marry you, but now it's going to look bad on him. That he was inappropriate because she was pregnant then before they should have been. Joseph is in kind of a no-win situation. But yet, being a just man, an upright man, verse 19, he wants to put her away secretly. That probably means he's going to get the bare amount of witnesses that he needs, probably just two, before the elders and just say, listen, I don't want this public. I'm not looking for an execution. I'm not looking for judgment. Let's just be done. And he would have grounds to do that. But he's thinking about this, 20. But while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is now where our teaching takes a little bit of a turn. Joseph is not afraid of the angel appearing to him like Zacharias, Mary, the guards, the shepherds. Joseph, the fear is to take to you, marry your wife. It's the mission that's causing fear. Think about what he has to now go through for the rest of his life. He is going to be raising the Messiah. He is going to be stepdad to the anointed Christ. That is quite the perspective that he has to try to grasp and understand. The fear that he has is the fear of the mission that is given to him. It's the fear of the ministry that is being asked of him. Now, We will not have angels probably appear to us in our lifetime where we need to worry about the fear of seeing an angel. But there's going to be ministry and missions that God has given you that's going to cause you to be afraid. And that ministry and mission is going to cause you to want to step back and not do it. Now, what can we learn from this idea then of the fear of the ministry and mission God gave us? We see Joseph being told to not be afraid. Take her as your wife. This is the plan. This is what God has called you to do, and you can trust that. Let's build on this. Can you go with me now to Luke chapter 5? Luke 5. Let's carry the same thought of fear. In Luke chapter 5, we have the story of Peter being called to something deeper. Now, it's, it's... When you read through the Gospels sometimes, it's easy to forget that there's all these stories that need to kind of be pieced together to get the full picture. If you're just reading through the book of Luke, you would come across at this point, and it would sound like maybe this is the first time that Jesus had any interaction with Peter. So Jesus shows up and says, Peter, follow me. We know from studying out the other Gospel accounts that Peter and Jesus had other interactions before this full calling of following him. This is not the first time that Peter and Jesus had spoken to each other. Please keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this. Luke 5, verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, meaning Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Washing their nets means they were done with their work day. Getting all the salt off the nets so that way they didn't just um, decay quicker. They're washing their nets because they were done. Three, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. What a great deal. Can I use your boat for a little bit? And God pays him back and a great catch of fish. So, seven, 
So they signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So it also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Same phrase, same terminology. Do not be afraid. Afraid of what? A big catch of fish? This is what Peter does. He's a fisherman. He's not afraid of fish. He's not afraid of this big catch. What is he afraid of? There's something deeper going on here. Peter is afraid, the fear, that the knowledge and the understanding that God has given him about what is going on. Look at Peter's response in verse 8. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus never said anything about sin to him. Peter was coming to the conclusion that this is something more, this is something deeper, and I can't just keep fishing. I know that there's something more with this man from Nazareth, Jesus. He's not just a man, he's something more. And I'm understanding that and I'm seeing it. And when I'm around him, my sin is brought to my attention because it's the fear of the reality of who God is. And there's more to my mission, more to my life. Look at the second part of verse 10. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. What was Peter afraid of? Peter was afraid of the mission of more. That God was asking for more. He can't go back to fishing. Verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter knew what was going on. A full abandonment of his life. A full abandonment of his connections. And to stop and follow Christ with everything. That's the fear that he was dealing with. That's why Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Let me ask you this. There's something more that the Lord is asking of you and fear is holding you back. We tend to spend so much of our lives making our lives as safe and comfortable as possible. We get the job that we feel is going to give us the good retirement. We get the house that's going to keep us safe and warm. We collect ourselves with people that we feel are going to uplift us. And then the fear of moving out of this safety net, the fear of letting go, forsaking all and following him, it's such a fear that people won't let go of. I've talked to guys over the years that have talked about maybe a call into ministry. But sometimes it's this. You know what? i got five years left at my job. And when I'm done with this job, then I really feel like I'm going to go into ministry. The fear of leaving now. Oh, I'd really like to do more. I'd really like to go deeper in the Lord, but... Right now, we're just in a season of life with the kids and the mortgage and activities, etc. It's just not now. But when we get through this season, maybe it's the fear of letting go of the comfortability of this season. Peter had to look this in the eye and realize, I'm a sinful man. He is Lord. There's something more here. And that's why Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Forsake all and follow. Please don't let that fear of letting go, of when you know the reality of who God is, the mission of more, don't let that fear get the back of you, best of you where you go back to fishing. One more on this, then we're going to bring it back into the Christmas. Can you go with me to Luke 12? We see the fear of angels, obviously, with Zacharias and Mary and the shepherds and the soldiers and Daniel and John, all splendor, majesty. But we saw with Joseph... 
There's a fear of the mission of more, of taking Mary as the wife. Then we see in Luke 5 the fear of the knowledge that God is giving, that we are sinful men, that there's something more in the mission field. Now it just comes out to worry in Luke 12, verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Worry has become one of the most acceptable sins in the body of Christ. We don't really get on people for being warriors. We accept it. It's like a personality trait. It's something they have inherited. You know, my mom was a worrier, so I'm a worrier. It's not genetic. We just understand it as their personality trait. Oh, that's just how he is. That's just how she is. She worries about everything. It'll be okay. It's a sin. It's a lack of faith in God. And just because it's become such a normal part of our life and routine that we worry about things, please never mistake the wrongness of it. And it's how quickly something can come into worry. Just how quickly about life and the body and and food and clothing, all of a sudden you feel really good and you get a pain and your mind goes to, oh no, what is it? You look at the checkbook and the numbers are going down. Oh no, what am I going to do? The vehicle starts making a noise. Something goes wrong in the house. Something goes up at work. And all of a sudden, worry just comes in so quickly. And the reality is it comes in so quickly, we don't even realize the sin of it when it's happening. I I had something just happen just yesterday where how quickly it went to worry. It started out all fun, easygoing, and it went to worry real quick. I'll just share the background with this so you get a little bit of a glimpse into what's going on. Dawn has this thing when it comes to um, filling the van up. She says it's a boy job, so therefore she doesn't need to worry about it, and she doesn't do it in the winter. Okay, so there you go. So it's winter, and she doesn't fill it up. So she waits till the low fuel light comes on, and then she lets me know the low fuel light's on the van needs fuel. That's just what she does. The low fuel light comes on with 50 miles to empty. Okay, now, so we had COVID go through the house, so we haven't taken the van out anywhere here for, you know, a couple weeks. She had contacted me the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and said, hey, um, low fuel light's on. So, okay, she told me then the van's going to need fuel. Never thought anything about it. So yesterday, she's coming back to her to church today. She goes, hey, the van's going to need fuel. So I go ahead and I get in the van, and I appreciate the fact that she waited till there was a high wind warning, and I take a van that's twice the size of any other vehicle, and I drive it out there. So I get in the van, and at this point, it's down to like 44 miles to empty. I'm just going to Dashler, all right? But with that wind and everything, I'm watching this mileage thing go 44, 43, 42, 40. Now I'm down in the 30s. And it was funny. It was a joke. Take a picture of it. Send it to her. I'm a few miles outside of Desh, and I realize I'm going to run out of fuel. Worry. Now, I shouldn't say worry. My first emotion was not worry. My first emotion was good. Dawn's going to have to get up, come out, and get a gas can and come fill this thing up, and then it would teach her to never. That was my first reaction, I, I'll be honest. Then I realized my next reaction was, I'm going to run out of fuel. Now, just stop and think of the silliness of this. I'm just a couple miles from Deschler. If I'm going to run out of fuel, this is the best place to run out of fuel. I mean, I know people in Deschler. I'm just a few miles from my house. It really is nothing to worry about. But that feeling comes in. The pit in the stomach. 
All of a sudden, you're a little concerned, a little worried. And it's such a human reaction that I wonder if we don't even realize how quickly worry comes in and the sin of it. That we have to take those thoughts captive. We have to stop at that moment and say, this is not of the Lord. God has proven his faithfulness time and time again. Why am I allowing this emotion to get the best of me? It is wrong. It is sin. And it's amazing how quickly this idea of worry comes in. That's why Christ tells us in 24, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouses nor barn, and God feeds them of how much more value than the birds. The birds aren't worried. Why am I? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. i got to pause right there real quick with anxious mind. Some of you have an anxious mind. You just are always thinking. You're always thinking about what could go wrong health-wise, financial-wise, country-wise, politically-wise, everything. You've got to shut that mind off and just trust the Lord and walk in faith. And to be completely honest, if that is you, you fall into that trap of the anxious mind, I just highly encourage you, confess that sin to the Lord, repent of it, and say, Lord, I'm going to focus on faith in you. 30, for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. And here's our word, do not fear. Fear not, do not be afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of not having God not providing. Fear not, little flock. Look at 32 there. He calls us a little flock. We're just a bunch of little sheep. Sheep aren't worried. They trust the shepherd. We're called to just trust the shepherd. Because why 32? For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure. This is what he wants to do. In this world where things are falling apart, natural disasters, health, financial, politically, God is still good and does good. We have to remember that. So it is his good pleasure to take care of us and give us the kingdom. Kingdom, something deeper, something more eternal. This is a fear of letting go of what we deem important and walking in faith. Trusting the Lord that he is going to take care of us. Joseph had the fear of a new mission. Peter had the fear of more. This is the fear of letting go of everything this world has that we deem important and walking in faith. Look at 33. Sell what you have and give alms and provide yourself a money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The context is you've got to let go of it. You can't just go back to the daily grind of saying, I want more. No, I'm letting go of all this. In faith, I believe that God will provide and I will not walk in fear. I can let go of what I deem important and walking in faith of the mission of a changed life. What does this look like practically? Depends on what season of life you're in. I've seen parents walk in fear of an empty nest. They can't imagine not having kids at home. And it makes them scared, fearful of what the next season of life looks like. I've seen guys completely afraid of retirement. Oh, now, on one hand, they will completely complain about their job. 
but their identity is so wrapped up in their work that the idea of not having a job in retirement, they're afraid of that. There's a fear. There's all these things that can come in and make us afraid and fearful. And really what it is, verse 34, we're treasuring something. Because we're, our, what we treasure is what our heart is going to focus on. So is it wrong to treasure your children? No, they're a gift from God. But if that is your identity, then you'll have fear of the empty nest. Is it wrong to treasure being a good worker and work as if working for the Lord, not for man? No, that's biblical. But if you make your identity into your job, then you will treasure it. And next thing you know, you won't be able to go on without it. What about even in ministry? I love this place. But if I treasure Harvest Fellowship Church, it will become an idol to me. And I will live and die by what happens at church rather than living and dying by Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So I need to let go of those things that I deem important. I need to walk in faith and I cannot have fear of letting go. I can't have the fear of saying, Lord, I can't let go of this. I have to trust you because if not, that will turn into worry. I have to trust the shepherd. Go back with me real quick to Luke chapter 2. Let's bring this back into Christmas now. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. So how do we battle this fear? Joseph's fear of a new mission. Peter's fear of more. Luke 12's fear of letting it go and trusting the Lord. Well, Christmas gives us an answer. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now they're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And we've already covered this. There would be a fear of those angels appearing. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Note the connection. How is that fear taken care of? That fear is taken care of by the Savior. Twelve. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill towards men. Peace. How do you battle fear of the new mission, of ministry, of giving him more, of letting go of what you deem important? By getting your eyes, verse 11, on the Savior and realizing God says, I want to give you peace, verse 14. Peace crosses all lines of life. It does not matter what your nationality is, your background is, your religion is. You want peace. Oh, I remember it's been it's probably about five years ago. We went up to Dearborn and did some uh, door-to-door outreach up in a uh, Muslim community. And uh, the group that I was with was Elias, uh, Shannon, and myself. And I remember we went up and talked to this older Muslim man. He spoke very little English. I did not speak Arabic, so there was quite the communication breakdown. But we were at least able to communicate, is there anything that we can pray for you? And I remember he wanted peace. And that hit me. This guy is a different religion, completely different nationality, completely different background. What does he want? He wants peace. We all want peace. And what happens now, bringing this back into Christmas, is that the world tries to offer us some concept of peace in this season that has nothing to do with the Savior. Last verse I'm taking you to. Can you go with me to Romans 15, 13, please? Going back to our introduction, 
asked, what word do you think of when it comes to Christmas? Like I said, we see the signs, hope, joy, belief, peace, how popular it is to have a one-word sign like that. Where does that come from? Well, take a look here at Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize Romans 15, 13 has hope, joy, peace, and belief? It's all right there. So where is this found, hope, joy, peace, and belief? What's found in the Bible through Christ. That's the Christmas message. Here's the problem. The world has hijacked this. The world likes to hijack things and take it from its biblical meaning. You know, we're going through Genesis on a Saturday morning uh, Bible study. We just got done with Genesis 9 with the story of Noah. And God gave this great sign of the rainbow of his faithfulness. And that's been hijacked by the world to mean other things. Hope, joy, peace, believe. That's been hijacked by Christmas. And what do we mean by that? Christmas, it doesn't mean anything about the Savior anymore. It just means this kind of ambiguous, feeling good season of just that mankind is inherently good. It's shown in this season by kind acts. And it's just a warm fuzzy feeling about stuff. So I looked up hope, joy, peace, and belief with Christmas. And this is what I found. You can get a shirt in the shape of a Christmas tree that is built off of joy, peace, belief, hope words. Now, it's 20 bucks on Amazon with free shipping. If you order soon, you can get it here by Christmas. That's what it said, but I'm just telling you that it's there. But it goes even deeper. I can get the same concept with joy, peace, belief, hope, and I can get one with reindeer ears coming out of it. And I also can get one with a Santa hat out of it. Because that's the way the world looks at it. Hope, joy, peace, believe. Where's that coming from? Well, Santa, reindeer, Christmas trees, lights, the smells of Christmas. The world loves it. But the Bible is teaching me hope only comes in a Savior. Joy only comes in a Savior. Peace only comes in a Savior. And believe only comes in a Savior. Matthew one twenty one, if you remember correctly, after Joseph was called to that ministry, that mission with Mary, God gave him the command to name the son. It says, and she will bring forth the son, and he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God save us. But the world loves this ambiguous feeling of hope, joy, peace, belief. And it's almost like God gives a free sample of it in the Christmas season. And the world just says, oh, I love it. Pastor I like to read by the name of Martin Lloyd Jones lived uh, some years ago. He talked about his first experience, I believe it was back in the 50s or the 60s, of where he experienced a hot tub. And he sat in the hot tub and he said, I never want to leave. And he said, This is what church has now become. We want to make you have a warm feeling all over so you never want to leave. And you just can't wait to come back to church because it's this atmosphere of this warm feeling of just feeling good that's not the way it is i've had guys tell me in the past that they've gone down to ohio state game or gone up to a michigan game and they didn't have tickets and they may try to get some tickets but they just like the atmosphere of the game just being outside the stadium and everybody is excited etc not going to even be in the game but just the atmosphere of it just soak it all in that's what the world does at christmas they soak in the idea of hope joy peace believe 
but they do it without Jesus Christ. And they get a tiny little glimpse of it and they say, oh, isn't this great? But then they walk away completely, utterly empty when it's all done and gone because they don't have the foundation of really means to follow Christ and get the true answer. Because look one more time at Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, it's the God of hope, fill you. Who fills you? God fills you with all joy and peace. Who does not want joy and peace? And how do we get it? In believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That only comes from a relationship with Christ. If we had more time, there's a great teaching in here on the Trinity right there. There's Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God. It's all right there. And as we've been with us on our Wednesday night studies through the book of John, we know that we get love from Jesus, joy from Jesus, peace from Jesus. This is what the holiday season is. And I just encourage you at this moment, right here, right now, let go of any debates there are about Christmas. We're not going to debate whether it's a pagan beginning or not, Christmas trees or not, or anything like that. It's basically this. For the next two weeks, the world has at least opened its door to this concept of hope, joy, peace, believe, and they're looking for warm, fuzzy feelings. We have the opportunity as believers to go out and be evangelists in this season. The possibilities are there. And you may say, that's not my thing. I don't know if it's any of our things. We're afraid to do it, aren't we? And that's why we taught on fear. Because if you're afraid to do it, have we not learned anything from Joseph, who was afraid to take the mission of Mary? Have we not learned anything from Peter that was afraid to go more? Have we not learned anything from Luke, the afraid of letting go? Of course you're afraid to do it. I am. A few years ago, I started praying for the gift of evangelism, and I'm still praying for it and hoping to get it because I want to be able to have that heart for people that are lost. And you may say, well, that's not me, but here's the deal. If you're here this morning and you're born again and saved, God has called you to go out and be an light and a witness. That's just the reality of it. I'm not trying to fush, fush. I don't even know what I was trying to say there. I'm, no, I know what I was saying. I was trying to say push or force. And to save time, I said fush. So I'm not trying to fush you into anything right now. I want to know that. I'm not trying to force you either. The point is this. I want you to stop and see the opportunities you have right now. This is just a season where people are so accepting of things. It is so easy at this time to wish somebody a Merry Christmas and hand them a track. It is. I was just out recently and I was getting something and putting it to my car. A guy just came over to me and just said, Merry Christmas, and handed me something. And I said, thank you, and I took it. I, it could have been drugs. I don't know what it was. I looked later, it's a, it's a tin of cookies, but he just said Merry Christmas, and he was inviting me to something. I just took it. This is the point. You have interactions, you have possibilities. And, and out there in the foyer, we have our, our turn style of the different tracks and there's Christmas tracks you can grab. There's different things out there. And I tell you, there's even tracks in Spanish. If you want to say Feliz Navidad, it's out there. Grab them. And I just encourage you over these next couple weeks to get prayed up and say, listen, I'm an evangelist. I'm going to go out and represent the hope, joy, peace, and believe of Christmas. And I'm going to look for gospel conversations. And I'm going to wish people a Merry Christmas. I'm going to hand them this. And I'm going to go represent because I know they're looking for peace. I know they're looking for that warm, ambiguous, fuzzy feeling that the world is trying to give us, and they're not going to find it in anything except in the Savior. And I'm not going to be afraid to do this because God's going to give me the strength to do it. That is what I want to encourage you to do here for these next couple weeks. That's the mission field we have. I know it's going to be a little awkward. I know it's going to be a little difficult. But I also know the blessing that comes out of it that we get to go represent Christ. The depth of what we get to go represent 
We talked about this Wednesday night to kind of close up here. Uh, they were singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And this one verse, listen to the depth of some of these Christmas carols we sing. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. That verse is so deep and theology, and what we're supposed to be doing, and what Jesus did. And we, I shouldn't say we, maybe you don't. There's a tendency just to sing these words that we've sang for decades. Do you understand what we're singing and what it means? We get to go represent the hope, joy, peace, and believing in the Savior of Christ. And that's what we'd like us to do. Let's pray. Lord, will we have that heart this week? And next week, may we represent you in every conversation, every interaction for your glory. Let us go be a witness for you in this holiday season. In your name, amen. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song. Just to kind of close out here, got a couple quick cards to share. First one here says this, I really appreciate everyone and everything that our church family has done for me. Thank you for all the prayers. This is from Hannah Sanders. Uh, and I had a... Uh, brief procedure earlier this week, doing better and continue to keep her in prayer and God's taking care of her. And also a card here from uh, Ramona Pedraza. She uh, worships with us here during the year, but has gone down to Texas for the winter and the church gave her a prayer quote as she was going down and she says, I love my lap blanket. It came in very handy. Thank you for all your prayers. We made it to Texas and now we are trying to rest. God bless you all very much. Real quick in way of announcements, I already mentioned next Sunday, second service, all Christmas program, First service, the actual Christmas message there and teaching and worship. Live streaming both for those that are watching there at home. Please also note in the bulletin it has the dress rehearsal times, Friday the 17th from 6 to 8. And that information is in there as well. I'll talk to Tony about that if you have any questions. Um, hey, big help to everybody. Big thanks, I should say, to everybody that helped out with the Donut Sunday this morning. What a blessing that was. Reminder, Angel Tree gifts are due today. If you have any questions about that, see Pat. If you haven't dropped that off, talk to her. Keep that ministry in prayer. Christmas Eve service, December 24th at 4.30. December 24th at 4.30 out here at church. Are we live streaming that as well, too? Yes, we can? Okay, we're live streaming that as well, too. Um, group of ladies are getting together on Wednesday to write out the book of Romans. What a neat ministry that is. Ladies, if you want to get together with that as well, you can see Karen Schwiebert. She'll point you in the right direction. And then we have our regular weekly Bible studies that meet throughout the week. I think that is most everything. Last thing, I think, is the new Our Daily Breads for the month of December. If you want a copy of that, grab one. If you want to take some with you to hand out as well, you can. All right, we'll give it over here to Josh and Miranda for the final song. And then Josh will close you out with a word of prayer. You guys have a good week and God bless. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. He's our shadow, the God of plenty, the all-sufficient one. i
Lord, in in this in this season where it's uh, where it's commonplace to receive, Lord, uh, Lord, remind us that um, you gave us the ultimate gift. You, you gave us yourself. <laughs> you gave us yourself. You came down here, abandoned your throne, and came down here to become one of us. That one day you would be marred more than any other man and take the punishment for all of our sins, Lord. Right here, right now, we praise you and we thank you for coming down here to be one of us, to fulfill that mission. Again, for everything you've done, everything you're doing, and everything you will do, we give you every ounce of praise we could ever raise to you. In your gracious name we do pray. Amen. Everybody have a wonderful week and God bless.